Hello and welcome back to the Pilgrims Podcast. My name is actually joining me today is Chris Allen, Alex Hind, and Mark Lovell. Okay, before we get underway with the pod, gentlemen, give me one thing you like about our wonderful sponsors, Swaz. Chris. Their inflation-busting delivery prices. Delivery within the UK is two ninety nine. Cost that try to send and... a card. <laughs> try and top that, Alex. I really like. I like how there's so many different templates and options you can build your own kit from. I know one thing that annoys you, Archie, and annoys me as well, especially down in like League One and League Two when you just see versions of exactly the same Puma kit in different colours. And I think you could have a whole whole division of teams could buy all their, all buy their kit from Swaz and they'd all be able to have a completely original and unique design on, which I, I like. It's fun to play around with their little kit builder. Here, here. Mark? Yeah, I love some of the team names. Bruschetta Dortmund. Oh, that's a real person at highlight who we got as well. Man V Fat Bolton. I'd love to wear that kit. I think it would come in useful. And uh, not Thin Man Forest. Not Thin Man Forest. So these are all exclusive kits made for these fine clubs all over England. Uh, support your local company. Yeah, yeah. There's plenty of uh, info in the pod description, along with an exclusive discount offer. Anyway, on to the pod. Sunderland three, Argyle one. Mark Lovell, I blame you. You predicted it. I predicted it. Yeah, um, I was hoping that they would self-combust after we scored that tremendous goal. What a finish from Ryan Hardy! So much composure there, and you know he went into the break at three-one. Uh, went in the break uh, at one-nil up. Um, mm. We didn't get out of the block second half we gave away too many silly free kicks in wrong areas um that draft excluder uh was not useful at all they they scored the equalizer and they didn't hold back after that and uh we we had a very poor second half maybe a little bit of uh, tiredness after the leeds uh cup replay um, but they, yeah, they were good value for the win. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we were obviously hoping, uh, one nil up going into the break, uh, to hold on like we did somehow at Swansea, you know, to get our third win on the trot, but it didn't, you know, they, they were keen to, uh, um, for the three points, get back in the playoff race and they, yeah, they were good value for the, for the win. We need to get back on track in midweek against Coventry. Yeah, yeah. Alex, at halftime, things are looking good, aren't they? Um, do you want to talk us through that Ryan Hardy goal? Because I think it was actually the pick of the bunch yesterday. It was because when you execute a game plan, it it's always feels really good rather than sort of something breaking from chaos. And as the away team that was really up against it, that's exactly how we were going to score. Morgan Whitaker... Ryan Hardy's finish is going to mean that Morgan Whitaker's pass to set him away won't get enough credit. And it was absolutely superb. 
mm-hmm. it just helps to see or show, demonstrate what a well-rounded attacking player he is becoming and can become. And his link-up play, as well as his goals, is really where his value is. And then Ryan Hardy does what Ryan Hardy does, breaks from the halfway line, Sunderland fans screaming, waving their hands around because they think he's offside, but he's not. He's started from his own half. And I actually thought, sometimes Ryan Hardy, and um, Aaron's talked about this when he's been on, sometimes Ryan Hardy, when he's running, he just looks like he's all limbs. And he Mm. looks like he's out of control, even though he's not. And I thought he'd possibly lost control a bit. He'd maybe just gone, made slightly the wrong decision. And he'd allowed the player to get back and the goalkeeper to come out. And then he made up for it with that beautiful finish, the the delicate chip. Um, I'd assumed he was just going to run through, knock it to one side of the goalie and roll it in. Um, so he kind of, I wouldn't say he undid his own mistake, but he managed to get himself out of a tricky situation with a very, very crafty finish. And he yeah, nearly about- scored another one, nearly scored a similar one from long he range a, a, a couple of minutes later. Um, and we hit him on the break and it was a sucker punch and it was against the run of play. Um, to be honest, any time we got in their half, it was against the run of play. So we were looking for the smash and grab, possibly a bit too early in the game, if, if you can use that cliche, but beautiful goal. Yeah, there was about two or three moments, weren't there? Well, maybe two actually, before he did shoot, Ryan. You thought, there's an opportunity gone now and again. But yeah, a sublime finish. Chris, at half time, it's starting to look like the perfect away performance, wasn't it? And Foster alluded to that in his uh, comments post game. <clears throat> yeah, I know what you mean. I don't know what he means. But the signs were there of what was coming for me. Um, we were relying on being pretty perfect at the back. And if I try and enter the world of astute tech tactical analysis, which is not my forte. I think they they did a good job of understanding our weaknesses because they were obviously instructed, especially if you watch a lot of football these days, no one runs anymore. No one runs directly at players. It's almost like a rule, isn't it? Like you've had the ball for two seconds, put your foot on it and look for somebody out wide. Even in that first half, we gave away three or four free kicks on the edge of the area where we were just trying to stop someone running in a straight line. So, yeah, I think the first half performance showed itself to be good because they didn't score. And then in the second half, when we tried the same, they scored with the worst wall ever built in the history of football. And then two Mm. goals by just kind of running straight at us. So I'm not being too critical there, by the way. I think that we're a young team, inexperienced team, but I think their manager did a good job. You know, these guys have got a bit of a soft underbelly. Keep going. The first, the first Sunderland goal, like you, it is the free kick, right? There was a plethora of free kicks yesterday. So they've all kind of merged into one. Mark, that free kick, what were your thoughts on it? Chris touched on it. The wall was not great, was it? Yeah, it wasn't great because they, yeah. You know, they used a little trick, just move the ball slightly, and it creates a different angle. And Whitaker was on the floor, and it wasn't useful. And the wall, the wall was the problem, and it the wall broke. Players were jumping in one direction and another direction, and that that was that was the problem, and that's why it slid 
into the corner of the net and we were on level terms and chasing the game. I'd give them I'd give them a little bit of credit in that because they rolled the ball out. It wasn't straight from the free kick. If that's a, they hit it from where it is on the spot and the wall falls apart yeah. like that, that's a lot worse than where they've moved the ball to the left to take the shot. Because as soon as they move the ball to the left, the wall assumes that their job is no longer there and they've just got to rush out to try and block whatever's going to happen. Um, and then in a weird way, with their set piece, they almost did less than it looked like they were going to do because it just rolled it a short distance and then pulled it back across anyway. So I still think the wall should have done better, but it is a bit different than just hitting it from the spot on the wall falling to pieces. You're right. There's no point having a draft excluder if the door that's blocking the draft through is just going to fall apart when someone comes near it. Oh, he's gone full custard greens again. <laughs> God, it, it just... I think for me, it was just, we defended a lot, a lot of them quite well, right? It's a poor free kick if the wall stays in place. And in the first half, they had more than I can remember where they didn't look dangerous from free kicks. So for me, it's if you, a bit like when we talk about players, if you look at one mistake on its own, it seems quite harsh. It's how it is in the context. And I think in the context of the game, they did a lot of, they, they had a lot of those opportunities where you thought, well, that was an awful free kick which on another day that one would have been, right? Six inches to the right, and it's Morgan on the legs. We're saying draft excluders, which is, I can't get that word out of my head now. You know, when you, a word becomes funny because you've heard it so much. Um, Foster didn't seem too happy, did he, with the referee after the game? It was the first time I saw him. I'm definitely not rattled, but he um, he was far from impressed, and he made comments to the amount of free kicks given against Argyle, the amount of decisions. But Alex, with that decision, I it was a funny tackle from JB or whatever it was. It was yeah, it was an odd odd coming together between him and the Sunderland player. And it, I don't I don't know. I don't have any huge complaints about it. Do you? They were very good. I I thought at winning those type of free kicks, driving across the box, like Chris said, making mm-hmm. us make a tackle. I think we've got a few lads in there who are young and. And one of the ways that they're inexperienced shows is perhaps some of the fouls they give away. Um, I'd say Phillips as well. I think I'm, I raised it last week. I think he's an excellent addition. Really, really happy he's, w- happy he's with us. Where his inexperience shows is sometimes he gives a foul away or or pulls a man down when he doesn't really need to. Um, mm. We seem to be doing that a bit yesterday. I, I agree with Foster to an extent. Um, there were free kicks that they were getting, some of them in and around the box, where I felt that they were perhaps a bit soft or or Sunderland had definitely won them rather than we'd conceded them. Um, but again, it's an easy one to go back to. It wasn't those decisions that lost us the game yesterday. You just have to look at every other single stat going and Sunderland were better than us. So while you can, you can point to individual moments in the game and say, oh, this, that and the other, kind of like the offside goal, which you may come to um, in a moment. But ultimately, Sunderland bettered us over the entire game yesterday. So while we can be upset about individual moments, I don't think we can be upset about too much as, as, a, as the result goes. We weren't robbed of anything, I don't think. Chris? And, uh, actually, just on that as well, I think it felt to me like we ran out of yellow cards, actually. Um, one of the reasons we managed to keep stopping them in the first half is that we were doing blue card offences over and over again. Um 
it was a great advert for why you should or should not have that new rule yesterday. Mm. Because we 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 were very good at cynical yellow card type fouls. So I understand where he's coming from that there was a couple of dodgy decisions, maybe. But I actually think we kind of got our comeuppance. We we tried to stop them with lots of cynical fouls. Which is not a bad yeah. thing as a tactic. Yep. If you're gonna yep. And then slowly as the game went on, it's like, we've got to stop doing that. We're going to get sent off. And possibly we needed one of them in the lead up to certainly the third goal, but both the second and third goal, which on the face of it looked like great individual goals from Clark and Bellingham. But Mark, looking back at it, the the distances are all wrong for me from the Argyle defence. And it's easy to single out Mumba for that Clark goal. But when you look look, look back at it again, you can see, I forgot the name of the other Sunderland guy who comes makes a misleading run and Mumba's caught in two minds and JB is then possibly needing to be a bit more on it really in closing down Clark. Having said that, at that time Forshaw is off the pitch and hasn't been allowed on, which was another one of uh, Foster's gripes. Yeah, absolutely. But looking back at that, Forshaw probably was trying to run it off, but possibly, you know, man of his experience, he might have just said, you know, let's let's go off right away, you know, and and regroup for for the next few games, that left us a little bit light. And yeah, maybe Bali doesn't get the support on the right-hand side as much as support as Miller gets with Galloway, for example. Galloway is always constantly covering Miller's tracks. Um, Bali doesn't really have the benefit of uh, that much uh, support over on the right. Uh, so the overlap left left us a little bit exposed for the second goal. Um, yeah, I would have liked to see Forshaw go off right away because it left us really. We were struggling in the game then, mm. and yeah. you know that was that was key for me. There was definitely something happening down that left hand side for Sunderland. They got Clark there, who's as highly rated as Morgan Whitaker is, and, and I think Lazio even put a bid in for him, didn't they? Um, yeah. In in the window. But you look where our cluster of yellow cards, Whitaker, JB, Mumba, Phillips, all down that our right-hand side. Those two goals came down that side. Um, there was something going on. I'd love to hear from um, or speak to somebody who was actually at the game yesterday. I think it was one of those things that was kind of hard to see on the when you're watching it on Argyle TV because there's something happening further up the pitch, which is isolating Mumba. And I really felt like he got stitched up. And when I've heard voices on social media um, criticising Bali Mumba yesterday, there's a wider context in that game where he is having to do almost an impossible job because he's getting overrun. He's having to run two ways. Um, So it definitely wasn't him at all. I think perhaps it was to do with the system in the terms of they overloaded the midfield because we went five at the back. They, they Sunderland had control of the midfield so they could, with the extra man, just bring the ball through and then go two on one on on our on our defenders. Our back, our centre backs, the three centre backs. I was looking at them and I was thinking, we have, we've got that right now. Those three are so good. There's not a weak link. Every time we've talked about this um, having a back five before, we've said, oh, we've got two of the centre backs sorted. Who's that third one going to be? And I really think we've nailed that now. I think these three are our starters. Bit of a shame for Pleggy because I do think he hasn't had as much of a chance as he perhaps deserves. But mm-hmm. those three are there. Sunderland bypassed them yesterday, really. They didn't make us use them. They 
they they won it in the midfield and then picked off our fullbacks because they knew that they were going to be up and down. Um, so, so there was more at play than just Barley having a bad game for sure, which was deliberate to me from them. Like if you, I can remember in the week when Leeds went ahead, their goal was a carbon copy of the goal that they scored in the previous game. That cutting inside, you know, decent finish seems to be an Achilles heel for us. Positive, I can think from that, based on our new manager, is that, that now he's done some of his other fundamental work, it's going to be right, how the hell do we stop this? Because it's, it's almost the only way that we're conceding at the moment is a high-quality player running at us and beating us. We've stopped the other type of attacks, but we're very, very vulnerable to those. Yeah, absolutely. He was... Yeah, he was far from impressed with them, wasn't he, Foster? And you'd like to think, well, you can bet your life on it, that they will be addressed in the week, well, in the couple of days we have in between today and Coventry at home. More on Coventry later. Before we move on from Sunderland, there was a few moments, uh, one positive, one not so positive, that could have gone the other way and swung it in our favour. Chris, number one, not in chronological order, but uh, Morgan Whitaker disallowed goal. So nearly a lovely little dinked finish or header. Well, it was. It was offside. It's who knows what would have happened. It it was relatively soon after they'd scored as well, right? Mm. Yeah. You immediately hit back and go two one up. It might have been a very different game. I think it's that simple to me that it was a shame, and there was no real angle to see. And it was tight, right? It wasn't like he was stood on the six yard box. So there is. Yeah. I mean, it was one of yeah. those moments where you think, "What could have been if we'd have." <clears throat> yeah, immediately hit back and gone to one up. I think psychologically that would have been important. Yeah, and the, the first one was she was in the opening ten minutes of the game. Now it may just be it may just be me. I know I've got a reputation for thinking things should be red cards when they might may not be. Mentioning no names, but uh, Bar, I thought he was quite lucky to get away with a yellow card. To be honest, in the opening ten minutes when he his studs came into the chest of. Um, Brendan Galloway. Don't know if anyone wants to comment on that. I thought that was reckless and dangerous. And he bar reacted as if that was the case and was very quick to apologize. For me, lucky to be on the pitch after that. One of those first ten minutes and it's a yellow card, last ten minutes and it's a red card type challenges, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. When you see Galloway go down, I think we're all um fearing the worst, aren't we? Interesting yeah. to know his Thank God he got kicked in the stomach. Yeah, which is a weird way to look at life. Interesting to know his uh, knee was heavily taped up, wasn't it, Galloway? Hopefully he's all right. He's played a lot of minutes, a lot of minutes recently, which has been good to see. All right, any last points on Sunderland, Mark, before we move on? Yeah, that challenge on Galloway, I mean, if it happens later on in the game, as you said, it probably gets a stiffer punishment. And also it's the first 10 minutes at the Stadium of Light, 40,000 fans, um, unlikely to be given a straight red. You know, if it's at home park, different kettle of fish, you mm. know. And also, Galloway, yeah, I mean, there's there's ways in the professional game. If he stays down and really makes a meal out of it, yeah, mm. and then there's more chance of a red card. It's that simple. Um, there was a challenge against Randall against Leeds, you know, a poor challenge, and he was up like a spring in the box right away. And I've seen hundreds of challenges in Bundesliga over the years when there's a red card because the player's feigning death on the halfway line. Um, 
those are the tricks of the trade. And maybe our players, I mean, I'm not, um, I'm not wanting them to, to be uh, real scoundrels, but sometimes you've just got to stay down and wait for the referee to make a decision. Yeah. Or Chris, last word. It's it's not a disaster either. No. Like I think pound for pound they were better than us. Oh yeah. Um, Any team that bring Joe Bellingham, um, Joe Bellingham on at the end, I saw him coming on. I I thought, well, there you go. I mean, (laughs) that's the difference, right? Yeah. It is a difference, but also uh, what made me think of it, Mark, is what you were saying about the stadium, actually, is that we kept them quite quiet in the first half. Um, it is a very noisy fan base that probably is worth some points. If you add whatever bar it is away from Plymouth to that, it go, before you even start the season, you go down as we're probably going to lose that game. But surely on account of distance. I think we've had one or one good result there, but I seem to remember their chairman writing us a nice letter not long ago when we lost 5-0. We lost on a Tuesday. Like, your fans are a credit to you because they had to come all this way and let's face it, we were going to hammer you no matter what happened. And we beat them 2-0 the other way, right? We got the advantage, I think, in reverse. It's three, not three a surprise if you're that far apart that the home team wins both of those games. All righty. On that note, we'll take a break and we'll be back in a bit for part two. All right, welcome back to part two. Now, obviously, yesterday was a disappointing result, but I think in part one, we reflected that it's certainly not the end of the world and Sunderland were pretty impressive really yesterday. So it's it's all right. The world will still continue. However, there's been a bit of a... uh, bit of a backlash hasn't there on social media people questioning Fosball and is it entertaining is it a downgrade on what we had before Alex what are your thoughts on that we had to get point start picking up points on the road and we've done that I'm all for entertaining football but if it's entertaining football and going back down to the division below then um, let's worry about the entertaining football when we're we're moving up the league as as we are starting to do. But yesterday was a was a reminder that, you know, we're not sitting comfortably in mid table on the beach, so to speak, already. We've still got a, a battle there. And anyone who wants that football back, I would I would challenge them to sit down and have a chat with a Stoke fan. Because they are currently three points above the relegation zone with a manager who's come in and promised them exciting attacking brand of football. And he's pushed everybody up in a team that struggled to defend anyway and can't stop conceding goals now. And they're in free fall. And that's all because they have a manager who, with us, Schumacher, we know like to play that football, that high risk, 3-3 draws, 3-2 wins. He's tried to take that brand to Stoke, a team already with a leaky defence. And the fans are up in arms about it. So you can complain about perhaps the excitement factor going down a bit, but when that high-risk game, attacking, free-flowing, exciting football doesn't come off, it goes horribly wrong. And we're in a better position now in the league than I think we were before Christmas. So survival is priority number one. And then once he's had a bit of time 
to get his feet under the desk and he's got his players in and he's got his coaching staff in eventually and we're we're getting a pre-season and a proper summer transfer window then maybe we'll see something different but at the moment it's it's pragmatic because it needs to be I'm not going to write off his style and his approach after a few games of securing us some points and moving us up the table at all mm. Chris yesterday I was having some a debate with some friends about it <clears throat> he made the comment that you know the football is is worse essentially and not as entertaining but to me that's a really harsh way of of viewing Foster because we were at the maximum we were at the top of the spectrum in terms of entertainment right under Schumacher and under Juice caretaker um, period it couldn't get more entertaining <laughs> you know, there was no nowhere left to go so it was always going to revert a bit wasn't it and it's and it, the club have been quite open about it so as Foster that his the remit was maintain some attacking threat but tighten up at the back he said it our club said it so it should be no huge surprise right yeah so many layers to this I'll try and unpick them so firstly something you just said right the world used to exist with I was speaking to my friends about this yesterday right now most of us broadcast this on social media so you're kind of, if you are on social media, you are the victim of every opinion from the world's biggest idiot to the athletic. And at some point, the athletic might also be the world's biggest idiot, right? But there's such a, you go across various, you've got so much access to opinion, you can drown in opinion, right? Number one. Number two, I can't believe I'm saying this, but we were almost the victim of this. There's a few people who do a podcast for a bit of entertainment. I'll take the ownership of this. Last week, I, Archie, was laughing at you with your bizarre obsession with Joe Edwards, right? I thought that you wake up in the middle of the night thinking of a Joe Edwards tackle from four years ago. But that translates in certain social media world to you're laughing at Joe Edwards, yeah? And not like that, right? Me being a bit smug and having my own little in-jokes. But I think... Imagine what that's like if you're the manager. Like, surely you just ignore all this bullshit. I think there is a whole layer of this, which is we win with the greatest team in the world. We lose to a team that were comfortably better. And we question the entire philosophy of the club, the manager. So I think it's actually the access to bizarre opinions and morons doing podcasts that is is really what we're talking about here, not the manager and the way the team play. Mark? Yeah, it's such fine margins. I mean, at halftime, we were looking good for our third win on the trot and the playoffs were on and everything was rosy in the garden. So yeah, we are, yeah, we're just, we're in danger always of uh, thinking too much and wanting too much. Foster's done a good job for me. He's restabilized and steadied the ship when there was serious danger of self-combustion after Schumacher buggered off to Stoke on a helicopter, and he's done a good job. We just need to settle things down, see this out to the end of the season, stabilise in the championship, and have nothing to do with relegation, and then kick on next season. If Foster has Finazaz in the team as well, it could be a different story. He's lost one of our best attacking threats one of our absolute top players who was on some fantastic form if he's got him in the team and it's, it's no disrespect to divine you know but at the moment it looks like he's not quite where Finazaz was when he left us so 
Absolutely. It's, it's a different yeah. team. Somebody made a somebody made a point about the was it the starting eleven against Sunderland at home or something like that, and and how different the the, the team has become in a relatively short space of time. So I don't know. I think I think the bloke's got a job to do and he's doing it. And I quite like the fact that, as Chris said, he can seems to be able to ignore the noise and he's not going to buy into that. He's not. He's not at Argyle and he's not seeing it as a popularity contest, which perhaps previous managers, and I say managers plural, might have done um, in the past. He just wants to do his job for the club who's paying him, for the fans who, who you know, pay his wages. And he's not going to get caught up in all the silly bollocks that comes Alex, along with it. Alex, do you think there was a big difference between last week's performance at Swansea and away at Sunderland, apart from the result? No, there wasn't. There wasn't. Tom made this point to us uh, separately. He's not on the pod today, but um, he would have made it very well in that he was at Swansea and everybody's celebrating our first away win of the season, scenes in the stands, everybody's on the beers afterwards. And the performance wasn't hugely different. Swansea dominated the game. They had the better of the chances. And we praised the side for digging in and, and managing to keep the ball out of our net to scrape the important away victory. As Chris said, the disallowed goal yesterday, that offside, if that's marginal, that goes in, we go 2-1 up and we hang on for a 2 all. let's say. It's the same it's the, it's the same outcome as Swansea, but with the same performances that lost us 3-1 yesterday. Mm. So I know you can say if this had happened, if that had happened, but... Um, I think here we are 24 hours, less than 24 hours after the game. You need to look back with a bit of context in a few weeks' time to really appraise, I think, performances and results sometimes. It's too easy to jump on Twitter straight after a game when you've sat there, wasted two hours of your life watching us get absolutely steamrolled in miserable northeastern fog by a team that's just better than us pretty miserable and frustrating sometimes but uh, in the grand scheme of things of our season whatever happens I don't think we'll be looking at Sunderland away saying if only we'd have been more attacking we could have got something there yeah another so another problem that Argyle, some Argyle fans have had over the last 24 hours apart from the lack of entertainment in Fosball has been Barley Mumba and it's been a thing on and off all all, all season I think from memory sun, November time it was particularly bad which resulted in that Celebration against Middlesbrough, with, uh, fingers in his ears in front of the Green Army, which was an interesting uh, message to be sending out. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with it actually, but I think, like I said many times before, I think there's a lot to unpack there. Point being, it seems to have reared again that anti barley sentiment, possibly. Who wants to take that on? Who thinks is a is a reason for concern there, or is this quite harsh treatment from the fans towards Barley Mumba? Yeah, I'll jump in. Uh, I did a few podcasts with Sunderland, the local paper and everything explained. You know, it starts for me with that wonder goal against Huddersfield, raising expectations, you know, record fee, joint record fee with Whitaker, And it raises those expectations to delusional heights. We're expecting him to, to live up to that standard of display every week. For me, he's had an absolutely fine season it's just those expectations which are totally out of sync. And we paid a million pounds for him. So we're expecting him to really live up to what Morgan Whitaker is doing week in, week out, apart from Sunderland. Uh, and so Bali's absolutely fine. We need to leave him alone. 
and let him develop. He's still a very young player, and I hope he, you know, can kick on. He's doing nothing wrong. He had no support on that side, really, yesterday in particular. I mean, Galloway covers Mikel Miller's every track and mops up all the all the all the danger most times. Miller continually um, gives away silly free kicks. Bali is not treated uh, on the same level as Miller, for example, because Miller costs nothing and his cheapest chips, whereas Bali costs a million pounds. And we're we're thinking he has to be a million pound player and more every week and he has to deliver more and it's not really fair for me a million pound player in this division isn't that much i think that's what we get confused about a million quid for us is an awful lot of money and we've never spent that much before but you look at the numbers that are being pinned on morgan whitaker or some of those sunderland players yesterday a million pounds doesn't get you a huge amount in this division i don't think what we can expect to do is rely on the recruiters at our club, the recruitment team, to consistently find players for £1 million who are actually worth £10 million. And I think that's kind of what we're expecting, partly because we've got Morgan Whitaker there, like Mark said, who we got for the sa- roughly the same amount of money and then has shown to be worth a whole lot more. Um, with Barley, maybe that's just about what he's worth and we need to remember that in this division, a million pounds doesn't get you a match-winning superstar. So there's that definitely, I think, the perception and the context around that. The goals he was scoring and the performances he was having last year in a division which is a lot worse than the one we're currently in, he played a much more advanced role. So he was able to carry the ball forward without the threat at the back. He's been asked to do a much more defensive role this season. And he's had to because we're in a much stronger division. So he's not going to be waltzing through defences and scoring goals like he did at Ipswich or the one against Exeter at home. He's it's, it's a different division with a different job. And I think people are still remembering. And as Mark said there, the Huddersfield goal was probably the worst thing that's happened to him this season because mm-hmm. they we started the season off thinking, oh, here he goes again. And it was a it was a bit of a one off, and now that's what people want to see week in week out to get our million pounds worth. Well, if he was doing that in this division, like he did last season and against Huddersfield, he wouldn't be a million pound player. He'd be a ten million, fifteen million pound player. So I think he's actually just par for the course. I'm not saying he's had a great season. I think there's more to come. I think he could improve, but I also think that you know he's been doing fine and and. Anybody who just jumps on him for yesterday needs to see that there were other things at play in terms of formations, in terms of having to um, cover two runners uh, and all of those things going on as well. So it gets a bit of a thankless task. And if if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we're going to end up losing him and we're going to go, oh, we had a really good player there. And we kind of, we didn't show him the love that perhaps other people got. And mm-hmm. I don't know, faith in Foster. Let's see what he can do with him over the course of the rest of the season and, and into next. There, there was a slight bit of concern for me yesterday that he he, he cut a frustrated figure. He was re, he was livid, wasn't he, when he got a booking? And then when he came off, he threw his tape from his shin pads down to the ground. It was just a few moments where you think you don't look particularly satisfied. I appreciate he's gone back home-ish to Sunderland and he's losing 3-1. So who's going to be over the moon with that? But Mark, 
yeah, though it's it struck me, and there's a few moments this season again that Middlesbrough celebration. We think, and is everything all right there? Yeah, well, particularly yesterday, he's going back to his former club, and we, he would have had so many friends and family in in the Stadium of Light, and he was so keen for sure to impress and really put in an outstanding display, and it didn't quite work out. He was just frustrated. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't single that out in particular yesterday, but we need to show him some more love. You only realise what you had when it when it's gone, and I really don't want to um, put a real downer on Bally Mumba's Argyle career. This was a a real outstanding player for us last season, player of the year, and you know man of the match in so many games. A really quality young player, and we need to show him more love. I think he was frustrated because he'd been stitched up for that goal. He got complete. He got completely hung out to dry for that. He didn't know whether to go with the runner or to go with the goal scorer, the ball carrier, and he did nothing wrong. He had to make a decision. You know, if he goes with if he goes with the 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 goal scorer, then it gets laid off to the guy who's on the overlap, and they score from that. And it's incredibly frustrating as a defender when you've basically got to cover two people. So I I I'd guess. He was probably pretty frustrated with that because I bet they talked about it and I bet they drilled for it in the week and and then it comes to the game and you're left in that situation. Kind of, I'd be I'd be annoyed. Mm. What what about this though? What about this? So I agree with everything that's been said. In fact, but before I think there may be other reasons why he gets picked on that I won't go into. But the other side of it is we have signed two wingbacks. So if, for example, he were not to play next week or another game, that would be perfectly reasonable too. He's putting a lot of shifts and maybe someone does want to see one of the new guys. They both, someone over was probably the, is that how I'm saying it? Is that his name? I made that up. I believe so, yeah. But I thought he was the player of the match against Leeds. Hmm. So he can obviously play the game and the other guy from, is it Sousa? Really should look at this before I talk about them. But there's nothing wrong with the fact that if in a rotational squad, one of those two gets a chance. And if that happens, also it shouldn't be taken as anything other than seeing if it works. I, I could imagine that happening. They both look like high-quality players, so maybe, maybe he gets a rest at some point. Yeah, we certainly need to in this upcoming stretch of games. Statistically, he's actually doing all right, Barley. And then you can really dive deep into some quite obscure facts and figures. But, you know, look at it, just a general one. Goal, contribu- goal contributions, he's third. Key passes, or chances created, sorry, he's second. He's he's creating stuff for Argyle, and he is a, he's an important aspect of our attacking play. And people, I think, cling on to the two goals of the season, which is not... It's okay, it's not what he was hoping for, I'm sure. It's not a relevant stat when you're playing at wing-back. Yeah. Exactly, and there's more to it. There's more to it. The chances created, it's impressive. There's a lot there, number number two in the whole team. His defending has got so much better. Last season, Mm -hmm. there were a number of times when everybody was um, going wild about him, and I was not so sure because I thought there's there's goals that we've conceded because he's in the wrong place and his positioning was all wrong. His defending now is so much better he got caught out for that goal yesterday because he didn't know whether to stick or twist with the runner. 
last season, he wouldn't have even been in that position to make that decision. His defenders got so much better, but that just doesn't show up on on the stats necessarily. His positioning, you know, where's the stat for being in the right position? It's tackles, it's it's moments, things happening. But just being in the right place is a much harder one um, to measure. And he's in the right place defensively more often than not this season, mm-hmm. whereas last season he was doing lovely things up front and we were conceding goals because he was nowhere. So there's improvement and, there. And Alex, that goal yesterday, you know, Clark was the other one on Lazio's hit list for 10 million, right? It wasn't, I think the third goal was the worst one when we were tired, but it was a bit like, I remember at the time, you don't really stop those. There's a yeah. high quality player who turned his man inside out, looked like he was going to put, it was a great goal. Right? I think at some point you have to accept that, yes, we're vulnerable to that, but that was, you know, Swansea didn't do that. To Tom's yeah. point, Swansea didn't have somebody of that class who did, and here's the big point for me, very little until that moment. Mm. And that was yeah. his job was to keep that guy quiet. The moment he wasn't quiet, he scored a great goal. Like, I don't think you can say anything other than that was, when Whitaker does it, we don't always look at it and go, that was their left right back's fault. Or we, we celebrate the skill of the person scoring the goal. Yeah. One of Ryan Lowe's only quotes, which I kind of agreed with, is that most goals are avoidable. And he's he's right, really. Rarely will you find a goal which hasn't got a flaw in it from a defensive aspect. So, yeah. And I guess a Let me have a chat with myself. All three yesterday were... Oh, there's another day where we, where we play slightly better, we get a foot in and we win 1-0. They were not... And the manager said that, right? So th- those two things again can be true at once. Like you've got to applaud the opposition, but I think the sheer relentlessness meant at some point we stopped a lot, right? We mm. stopped a lot, fairly or unfairly, but at one point it just, that's how it felt to me. They just suddenly through momentum, through the crowd, through relentlessness, they came out on top. Yeah. And I th- to a more general point on Bali, I do, it does concern me that, the stance people take on him or the the delivery of the criticism, it seems at times borderline vile, to be honest with you. And having experienced it in the ground, Rotherham springs to mind where things weren't going well. 2-2, the team wasn't playing great. And he was one of the ones that was getting an absolute earful. And to bring it back you know, to my comments about Joe Edwards last week, which I know some people didn't agree with, to compare those two, the treatment they got, you know, Joe would admit he didn't have a great game that day. I think that's fine to say. He was passing the ball out of play, and people behind me were just kind of laughing. Not malicious, nothing horrible. They're just laughing. You know, they're saying stuff I probably can't repeat on this podcast, but it was nothing that's going to get you uh, in trouble. Let's say the treatment Barley got that day was borderline disgusting, to be honest with you. A negative from almost the, the moment he touched the ball, fans were on him. So whenever I speak about Joe, my I think my noise is not so much with him, it's more the the, the gap, the gulf in the treatment players like him and Bali receive, which I don't think is fair. And I know you're probably listening now thinking, well, they're totally different players. There's, what, 11 years between them? And, you know, we've got very different expectations. But I do think we need to have a, maybe myself included, find a nice medium in between of how we treat all players in terms of critique and analysis. 
because I do, yeah, and I will, I would, that is a hill I would die on. I feel like he's Joe Edwards, and rightly so. He's got a lot of credit in the bank. He's a club legend, captain of some a fantastic championship win last season. And you see that in the reflection on how he's treated. But Bali is not, <laughs> at times, doesn't feel like there's a moment of goodwill. We just go up to automatic negative mode and boo. Well, we weren't booing him, but we was, there was lots of sighing and grumbling and nothing positive at all coming towards him. And that, in a nutshell, is my annoyance of the whole uh, subject. The move yeah, towards well, data. Well said, but... I don't think you need to go on anymore, really. There no, needs to be balance in any sort of slating of players. And, uh, yeah, well said, Archie. The, the move towards yeah. data really divides people in football. There's the what have been referred to as the legacy fans who aren't so behind it. And a lot of the kind of um, younger supporters, perhaps, who are really into it. And maybe not just younger supporters, but really like the, the the data stuff in football. But what one interesting thing that it does, and I think this shows in our recruitment, is it removes a lot of bias when you're just looking at numbers. And back in the day, players were bought and sold from clubs basically based on whatever the manager's bias was. Now I'm sure in football in years gone by there was even more of that around than there is now. Um and I think as fans as well, actually one of the benefits of judging players in a slightly more data-driven way is that you can start to see, like you just did, Archie, you know, Barley Mubba's getting absolute pelters for for some of his performances. And then you look at the stats and you go, well, actually, he's on the paper. He's been doing a lot better than perhaps we think. So I, I don't know. It's just a no real point behind that. I just think mm-hmm. our recruitment team, for example, players that have been not rated by people, have picked them up and done very, very well for us because they haven't just, you know, I think sort of your Barry Fries and your Harry Redknapps, um, you know, he's a lovely little player type approach is is gone and we can start to be a bit more objective about what these players contribute. And, and, and actually, here's maybe the point I'm going to draw from it is that, thank goodness we've got this now so we can, when people are going off on one, and um, unfairly criticising players in in an extreme way, there is something we have now to go, well, actually, you're wrong because and we can prove you're wrong because of this. So, mm. yeah, Chris, you want to... Well, in a week, you've got the... Depending on where you are in the world, you've got the former president of the United States saying things that shouldn't be said. Prime Minister of the UK making inappropriate comments, in my opinion, in Parliament. I think it, the, it kind of sickness breeds from the top. There's been a almost political level permission to be use free speech as a cover for being a complete melon. Um, so I think you know that's for a different podcast that's more eloquent than. Well, a different person that's more eloquent than me, but there's a whole hour you could do on that around how you, football fans get blamed for doing stuff that politicians are doing day in, day out. Also, and this podcast may be the case in point here, but an empty vessel makes the loudest sound. So, unfortunately, those voices get amplified and elevated. Hmm. Yeah. To uh, 
slightly move on, I think, but it's still relevant. Looking ahead to Coventry, which we will do in detail in just a moment's time, I think we've got a really, like we said a lot, a really tricky run coming up. So if we're going to be rattled by losing to Sunderland away, then I'd kind of dread to think where we might be in four games time. I don't think we'll lose them all. But it's a tough run and we're going to need to kind of stick together really and not get on the backs of the like of likes of uh, Bali Mumba. And, and I think I said last week, it's not impossible that we lose them all. Far from it. It could happen. But I would be disappointed and amazed if at the end of that, you've got the same that's going on again at our friends up near Walton Towers where, you know, the fans are in a toxic argument with the fans. I hope mm. we don't, it doesn't go to that extreme. You know, people can express their disappointment, but toxicity helps nobody. Absolutely. Yeah, these are three home games. You know, we should be confident of getting, you know, a decent run of results. We don't need to, you know, Leeds is going to be tough. You know, we saw what they could do, but we got a draw in 90 minutes with a weakened team. So, you know, let's not be doormats. Uh, we've got Coventry. Um, yeah, they, they're in a good run of form, but uh, let's, we've lost at Sunderland, you know. We're automatically getting negative. Let's, let's just treat this every game as it comes. And, you know, things, things change very quickly in football. Three points against Coventry, and when, then we're looking upwards again. I think we're just, as Argyle fans, everything becomes so negative very quickly. And we're automatically criticising uh, Foster's style of play after losing 3-1 at Sunderland. Um, you know, a former Premier League club. Let's get a grip and reality. We've we've been playing Macclesfield and Fleetwood and shite like that. Let's get a grip. Let's be positive. Will um, Wednesday night be positive, Alex? Argyle versus Co- Coventry. I'm I'm still to be convinced by Coventry. I've not seen a full game. Actually, I've seen two full games um, of theirs. I, I, there was another one on the TV that I ended up watching the other day. But they're right up there. They've come into some great form kind of since they played us, really. But they were not convincing against us. They they got that dodgy goal that went out um, over the line, possibly. We were pretty miserable that day. That was one of our worst performances of the season, I think. So there's Coventry at home. It's a game we should be looking to win. I think we can win. If we got a strong side out, we'll see what Forshaw's injury is like. Um, it's very, very winnable. I don't think... We give ourselves enough credit sometimes in this division and we see these good teams. But Coventry, we were poor against and we can be better. Leeds, we've shown that we can compete with them. Yes, they're so much better than us. Let's be completely honest. But we've shown we can compete with them. If that game the other day was not a cup game, we would have got a point from it. West Brom, we've drawn with. Middlesbrough, we've drawn with. Ipswich, it was mistakes and we ran them pretty close. Um, So there's nothing to be scared about. What I like is that a lot of these teams we're coming up against now, we've played them already and we've either nicked a point off them or lost out because of a mistake or, or or something that's fixable. In the first half of the season, you're coming up against teams like that and you're going, oh, bloody hell, you know, we're going to have to, it's going to be like an FA Cup tie. Not anymore. We, we know we can give these teams a game and we know that we've got ways within our squad of beating them. Look mm-hmm. at Ryan Hardy's goal yesterday. You know, 
Like that's one of our weapons. That's one of our tools that we have. And when we can use it and execute, there's nobody stopping it. Same with Morgan Whitaker, same with uh, um, other, other players in the team. So yes, it's a tough run, but I know it's falling back on a bit of a championship cliche, but it's always a tough run in this division and you can go and beat Leeds and West Brom and Middlesbrough or get points off Ipswich and then you'll go and lose to Sheffield Wednesday. So to use Mark's one of Mark's favourite terms, one game at a time. You can only play the opponent in front of you, positive, concentrate on the next game. Yeah, we mentioned him there, Adam Forshaw. I don't think we actually touched on it when we were talking about the Sunderland game. He had another really good game. Um, he obviously went off, like we said, with a bit of a knock. Hopefully he'll be back because I think he's looking like a great, great signing. And his, his calmness on the ball, to wheel out another cliche, is really, for me, really, really impressive. There was a moment yesterday where he took it he went one way and that was there was no options from there, so he played it the other way. And he just yeah, his calmness on the ball is what really, really impresses me. It's what impressed me about Houghton, having seen him in the flesh a month ago. And yeah, to, so to have both of them out would be a major blow, but no news yet on Forshaw. I think it's, it's overly simplistic, but it all went to shit when he went off. Like if you look at it that way, but like the free kick was a bit of a freakish goal, but it did kind of the, the combination of the uncertainty him being off the pitch for the second goal and then him not being around I think it makes you realize what he brings to that midfield because he doesn't give the ball away could also yeah. say it all went to shit because he didn't go off when he yeah. when he should have gone off uh, to go back to Mark's point earlier the Foster has said if you're tired I think one of the players quoted this oh it's hard he said it in a post-match he said the boss has said to us, if you're tired, just come off because there's somebody else who can come in and carry on the job that you're doing um, and to give it everything and, and then come off. And I felt like he should have just showed a bit more experience and come off because we struggled when he was struggling. Um, we were a man down. Another point on Forshaw, though, is I, I think Adam Randall could really benefit from having him around and, and having him in training. I feel like Forshaw is perhaps the player that Adam Randall can become. Um, so, so I'd be interested to see what kind of influence he has on 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 young, not so young in terms of football anymore, I suppose, but um, young Adam. Hmm. Alrighty, uh, time for a wee break, I think, and then we'll return for a quiz. Hey! <laughs> You can get on with your quiz. All right, welcome back to part three. Straight into the quiz today. Mark, over to you. Yeah, it's a real highlight for me as a journalist uh, to do the Pilgrim Podcast quiz for February the 11th, 2024. Today, gentlemen, we are going to do a quiz based on Argyle players and English village names. So you get two points for a correct answer. I need one of you uh, fine gentlemen to record the scores because I'm not that quick. But it's Argyle players or English village names. So, yeah, it's fairly self-explanatory. Let's get going. I'll start with Archie. Youngest first. Can you give us a clue? And it, like, on, oh, on no, you, it, it's all... F- Perfectly obvious. All right, I'll start with a really easy one, okay? <laughs> a really 
Oh, you're gonna, oh wait, one. you're gonna give it. You're gonna give us something. I'm I'm starting now. Okay, um, Archie, William Wake or Norman Cross, which is the Argyle player, William Wake or Norman Cross? Um. Quicker, please, gentlemen. Norman. No, no Archie, come on. It's William Wake. He played for Argyle in 1907 and 1908. There you go. <laughs> Hang on a minute. Willie Wake. Willie Wake. Willie, Willie Wake. Oh, he's and that's a village. Interesting. <laughs> and that's Chris, a village. Chris, who picked the bones out of that name. Norman, okay. Norman Cross is the village, right? Norman Cross is the village, yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well spotted. All right. Let's move on to Chris. Moses Russell or Studley Roger? <laughs> That's another one of your uh, pseudonyms, isn't it? <laughs> Quicker, please. I, I forgot to say him again. I'll pick one at random. Moses Russell or Studley Roger? I think Moses Russell is the player. There you go. He is a World War One legend around that time. Played a, a lot of games for Plymouth Argyle. Okay, Alex, over to you. Cleo, Cleoberry Mortimer or Septimus Atterbury? <laughs> Septimus Atterbury is the player. Yeah, another World War One legend. A real fine player for Plymouth Argyle. Okay, back to you. Here we go, here we go. Archie. Hmm. Carlton Colville or Howard Farrington? <laughs> <laughs> Howard Farrington Primary School. Sorry, Archie. Sorry, Archie. I was going to take, take your first you name. Can, can you tell? Say the first name again. Yeah, Carlton Colville or Howard Farrington. I mean, that, that could be anything. Come on, quicker, please. One of them scored a big, uh, big Derby Day goal at next to City. I remember. What, Too many 19... clues, Alex. I don't, I don't do clues here. I was going to say number. Carlton was the village, but um, Alex is uh... quicker answer, please. It's your editing. Not... I'm thinking of. I'm being honest. That was going to be my answer, but Alex is um. Yeah, that's okay. It's the wrong answer. It's Howard Forrington. He scored three no. goals in nine appearances in 1988. Hang on, no, in no. I said I said Carlton was the village. No. VAR. That was your first answer as originally. Let's move on. Okay, Chris. Yep. Yardley Hastings or Stuart Yetton? Oh, that's easy. Was the second one Stuart Yetton? Yeah. I'll go for him as the player. Yeah, he was. 2003-04, around Sturrock uh, time. I can't remember him. Yeah. Alex? Mm-hmm. Heath Hayes or Ambrose Kame? <laughs> well, we've had Ambrose came in a previous uh, I know, I know. previous quiz, a personal favourite of yours, Mark. Um, yeah. He's the player. Ambrose came, Willie woke. Willie oh, wait. woke. Ambrose came. Let's get, came, let's, was let's get it right. Okay, let's move on quickly. All right, this is a personal favourite of mine. Barnum Broom 
or Chick Arundel? <laughs> Chick Arundel? Is it Chick Arundel? It's just my pronunciation, like Adam Randell. Chick <laughs> Arundel or I'll Barnum Broom? Barnum. Barnum Broom. That sounds like a little village. Barnum Broom. Off to Barnum Broom this afternoon. Barnum Broom. <laughs> Off for a cup of tea at Barnum Broom. Barnum Broom. What's the other one? Chick. Chick Arundel. Chick Arundel. They didn't nuts. think this was shy on Pesotti before. They definitely will now. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move on. Mark, I, I'm, flo- I'm speechless, mate. I don't know what to... What the fuck? I <laughs> Just guess, Chick. then. All right, number two is the player. Which is which is what name? I'm sorry, I've, I changed the order. Chicka Randall? Yeah, he's the Argo player, 1956. No way. He, for, he was a fine. He played for Tavistock as well. That's where I, I know. I know Chick. It sounds he like was. a JFC at Southampton. So I could go to Barney, whatever it was, for a cup of tea. Barnum Broom is an English village. That's for sure. Oh. Okay, um, Chris next, I believe. Percy Cherret or Seton Carew? We had John Carew, of course. He was a footballer. So, anyway, I digress. He doesn't do clues, so uh, yeah. What was the first one? Seton Ferret or something? Seton Carew or Percy Cherret? I think the first one is the player. What, Seaton Carew? Yeah. No, it's Percy Cherret, 1923. No 19- Percy Cherret. Okay. Welcome All to right. my side, Chris. On the subject of Percy's, okay. Alex. Percy, many- Saul, Percy Saul or Warren Percy? Warren Percy's the village. Okay, there you go. That means that Percy Saul is the player, 1904 to 1906. Easy one here for you. Are you, you working are... through every Plymouth Argyle player in history from the first one? <laughs> no, no. We're getting to the end now. I think it's more, more to the point. In like the 1910s, everyone was named after where they lived. I think that's actually partly true, isn't it? Archie. Well, I'd, be, I'd be called like Manadon Sextimus or something if I was born then. Easy one for you now, Archie. Clifton mm-hmm. Pethick. Clifton Pethick. Or Clifton Rains. Oh, that's hard. It's a Pethic or Rains. Can I phone a friend? Just guess. Pethic or Rains. Oh. Rains. I'm Rains. I can hear it. Next stop is Clifton Rains. I reckon Pethic is the player. Exactly. Move on. Well there done. We go. What does it say about how miserable my real life is that I don't want this to end? All right, Chris. Um, Blaze Bailey or Ellis Stuttard? Ellis Stuttard. Yeah, player. A, yeah, player and manager for this club. A real servant. Um, Alex. We're getting to the end now. You'll be sad here. Kingsley Holt, Kingsley Holt, or Elliot Ward. Elliot Ward is the player. Yeah, that was a really easy one. Another easy one for Archie Grafton Underwood 
or Barrington Belgrave? <laughs> um, Barrington Belgrave is the player. There you go. And the last one. Who wants to do the last one? My turn. It's Chris. Preston Capes or Dexter Blackstock? Ah, oh, do 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 do. Dexter Blackstock. Yeah. Four goals, you had an away appearances, 2005. Is it you, Chris, that had that away day? Yeah. Forest? Scored a hat trick at Forest. Yeah. Uh, so Mark, you, ch- ch- thank you. That's the end of the quiz for February the 11th, 2024. It's thank actually you. February the 12th now, Mark, by the time uh, that's finished. <laughs> <laughs> when it's published, yeah. When it's when the pod, this this uh, vibrant podcast goes out to the all our listeners all over the world, even in Bodmin. It, feel, it feels like one of those, you know, one of those like self-printed books that you can buy in a shop on the moors. You know what I mean? Like you sort of go out for a little walk and then go for a cream tea, and there's a little quiz book. Is yeah, this is this a place you can visit or a person? For the record, I won the quiz. No one's actually mentioned that. I, yeah, well done, Alex. It doesn't happen very often. That's why I just want to uh, make a point. Thanks, Mark. Well You're done. Welcome. Anytime. Helping me to reach my potential in life. <laughs> Important. All right. All right. All right. How to wrap up that? Um, thank you, Mark. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Alex, Chris, and Mark once again. Pleasure as always. And we'll be back with you very, very soon. I'm off for a cup of tea in Archie's Grace. (laughs) (laughs) Two-barrel giggling.